Today's episode of Market Talk is brought to you by Growmark FS. Keeping up with the latest in ag is a challenge, to say the least, but there are experts nearby ready to help. You'll find them at your local FS. You can trust them to bring you customized agronomic grain and energy solutions bored of the latest thinking. That's because FS specialists receive continuous training that keeps them current on the latest trends, practices, and technologies. So you'll get local expertise that's both exceptional and up-to-date. Visit FSSystem.com to learn how FS is bringing you what's next. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. A fairly mixed trade scene Wednesday after the February WASDE report was released. Welcome into Market Talk. Thanks so much for being here joining us today. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Always a pleasure. Great to be back in the studio here for at least a day today as I've been traveling and on the road. Happy to be with you again as well here on the program today as we have a lot to discuss on Market Talk. Recapping Wednesday's market action, we saw the February World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates released from USDA. Typically a very quiet report and overall that pretty much was the case. We did see a few surprising numbers, though, in the report. We're going to talk about the report as well as the market reaction and more coming up here in segment two and three today with Mike Zuzalo of Global Commodity Analytics. He will join us coming up here to discuss in just a little bit. Also going to get comments from Arlen Suderman of StoneX here in a moment. And later on in the program, we're going to get caught up on news headlines, plenty of other storylines in agriculture that we are watching closely. We're we're going to take a look at some of those top headlines coming up here at the end of the show today, including uh, Iowa Senator Republican Chuck Grassley. He is looking once again at renewing his payment limit fight when it comes to uh, the farm bill and saying that the farm safety net is broken. We're going to get those comments and more coming up here later on in the show, as well as a look at the February Purdue University CME Group Ag Economy Barometer. Well, again, I mentioned the February World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates report was out on Wednesday. Overall, the report, we could say it was pretty much neutral for cord beans and wheat. USDA raised domestic cord ending stocks, 25 million bushels. They also boosted soybean ending stocks, 15 million bushels, because they had a 15 million bushel cut to crush. USDA left Brazilian crop forecasts unchanged and had some uh, trimming to Argentina's quarter soybean crop as they saw the Argentine soybean crop dropped to 41 million metric tons and corn dropped to 47 million metric tons. We get thoughts on the numbers and recap and analysis right now with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX. I talked to Arlen around midday on the day on Wednesday after the release of the report ahead of the market close. And we talk about what he saw with the U.S. numbers, the South American numbers. We also take a look at the livestock sector as well on Wednesday. Here are those comments with Arlen Sudeman of Stonex, starting with the U.S. numbers from the WASDE report. Very few real changes in this market uh, or in this report overall. I think the market was a little bit disappointed. In fact, we saw the algo, the headline reading algo computers trade corn, soybeans and wheat lower right after the report came out. But then the human factor came in and bought it. And so you mentioned soybeans, a 15 million bushel reduction in crush. Some of that's because of weather related crush reduction that we saw uh, in December and January. 
Um, so we've tightened up the meal market because of that and, and USDA lowering its crush estimate overall because of the disappointing crush to date as a result of that. Um, but that was kind of anticipated, no real surprise there. I think the USDA was expected by the trade to cut exports, excuse me, to increase exports and cut ending stocks. They did not do that. And so there's a little bit of disappointment there, but uh, nothing really significant of note. Uh, no real changes to corn other than a reduction in ethanol um, usage. And that's not really a surprise either. About 25 million bushels uh, ending stocks going up by a similar amount. So pretty quiet report overall from the U.S. balance sheet standpoint. On the South American side, it came in, I think, pretty much as advertised. No changes to Brazil's quarter soybean crop argentina did get some changes there looked like uh soybean side was a bit substantial uh, there lower than the average trade guess arlen yeah it is as we look at these numbers we saw a five million metric ton reduction to argentine corn um that takes them down to 47 million metric tons the trade was looking for a reduction down to 48.5 so a little bit more than expected soybeans went down to 41 million metric tons the trade was looking to something closer to 42.3, so cut it more than expected. But earlier in the morning, we'd heard from Bungie CEO that they think that the crop down there is 34.5 million metric tons. So the expectation this morning was set lower for an even smaller crop. So it was a little bit of disappointment, even though this number came in below the pre-report estimates. Uh, it was interesting to note that um, USDA cutting 5 million metric tons off Argentine corn crop. It also cut 5 million metric tons off of combined Argentine and Brazil corn feed usage. 2 million metric tons off of Argentina, 3 million metric tons off of Brazil feed usage. Uh, I, as I look back at the numbers though, they did increase exports out of Brazil by about 3 million metric tons. And I think that really corrects where they had overstated the increase in feed usage in Brazil this year at the expense of exports. And I think they got those numbers a little closer to reality in today's report. Arlen, overall in the grain trade, as you mentioned, the algo computers kind of traded the numbers and the human element came back in as we see a little bit of green on the screen midday, but feels like we're generally just kind of kind of trading right around where we started the day here today. Yeah, I think where we close today is going to be key because the post-report reaction kind of seems to confirm a little bit that maybe the funds are wanting to have some more commodity ownership this year after really being kind of bearish the commodities over the last six to eight months, uh, removing virtually all of the war risk premium uh, from Ukraine and now thinking maybe went too far, particularly with China kind of coming back this year. Maybe they need to have a little bit more ownership, but uh, we'll see if we can confirm that with a solid finish today. If if the gains post-report disappear, then we'll think maybe that's not the case. But uh, right now, there seems to be a little bit more of a firmer bias overall. And real quick, in the protein sector, a little bit of a mixed quiet trade, really, in cattle today. Hogs, some strength there. Wonder if that's a technical bounce possibly in that hog market today. Yeah, you have to think so. Not much reaction at all to the WASD numbers in the livestock sector. Uh, we have seen uh, uh, hogs kind of trying to firm up a little bit, but they've had such a sharp decline of late and liquidated a lot of the fund ownership, removing a lot of downside risks with the funds having liquidated ownership. 
Um, so that may get some bargain hunters coming in there, but we still have soft fundamentals. Cattle complex, we've seen a few more cattle in the Southern Plains go at 159 today. Most feeders are still asking 160. So we're looking at steady, you know, steady to higher cash trade, it looks like at this point in the, in the feedlot district. And once again, that is comments and analysis recapping the February WASDE report with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX. Again, talk to Arlen around midday, uh, typically each and every weekday. We try to get you that uh, commentary as well here on the show uh, when we can each weekday as well. Coming up, we're going to continue to focus on the market trade as we uh, continue with the fallout, uh, really the lack of fallout, we'll call it, from the February WASDE report. We're going to discuss, though, we're going to dive in and get some perspective with Mike Zuzalo of Global Commodity Analytics. He is going to join us here coming up after the break as we continue with more market talk here on the show today. Also, later in the show, again, we'll take a look at some of the latest news headlines in agriculture. So stick around. More coming up here after the break as we're back with market talk on the way right after this. market information that matters to you on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. Well, as we take a look at Wednesday's trade action and recap the February World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates Report, and I guess it lived up to the hype or maybe lived down to the hype. Typically a very quiet report in the month of February, but we did see a couple number changes to take a look at. Joining us here to do just that, our good friend Mike Zuzalo with Global Commodity Analytics. And Mike, good to uh, catch up with you again, sir. I hope you are doing well. Hey, you know, Jesse, as long as it's not bleeding red on the screen after a WASDE report, how could I be doing bad? That's a very good point. And kind of like I said, that February report lived down to the hype, if it could live down to the hype, so to speak. Um, not a lot in the way of changes in this report. We expected that, but there were a few surprises. I'll uh, pull up on the video feed. I know you sent out uh, just the report tables. I'll pull up the U.S. first. A little bit of a change there, a little bit of change on the world side, especially South America. So just recap real quick, what, what stood out to you in the uh, WASD numbers we saw on Wednesday? Yeah, I mean, I think what stood out to me probably stood out to the trade that we got a little more comfortable on soybean ending stocks because of crush um, being cut by 15 million bushels. I, I think that number is probably accurate, but they could have done some last month. Um, kind of similar to what they did in the corn with the ethanol. But I think that is probably the biggest issue for the trade to have to come back and revisit is our carryover remaining above 200 million bushels as Brazil is getting deeper into their harvest. And then I think on the converse side, just how tight we are on the domestic supplies of wheat and on the domestic supplies of corn. And what I was, one of the biggest things I was looking at on the domestic stuff, Jesse, was where does USDA come in on average farm price? And they took wheat down only 10 cents to $9 a bushel. So, you know, we're trading 750-ish um, on the uh, soft red wheat market and in, we've had a nice recovery, um, but we're still a long way away from $9 for an average cash sale price. And I don't know whether they think that's already in the rear view mirror or what, but so they didn't change anything on the corn and they kept, they actually took the beans up a dime, but that's kind of where I'm at on the domestic side. How about the world side, Mike? Uh, I know we got South American numbers. We're going to dive a little bit deeper into, but uh, what stood out to you there? Yeah, we needed to feed the bull in my opinion on the, on the soybeans uh, because of the break to the downside in the meal 
Um, the Chinese crush numbers in, in soy meal prices starting to fall in the last couple, three weeks pretty dramatically. And obviously, northern Brazil harvesting, albeit very slowly because of rain. So that 102 ending stocks number was kind of a must have, in my opinion. I think there was some disappointment out there that we didn't get closer to 100 million metric tons just because of the Argentine number that uh, USDA cut. Um, wasn't enough in a lot of people's minds. I would be part of that group that I think we can see future cuts. Um, the other side about that soybean number is that USDA stuck to their 153 number. So trade settling into a 152 to 153 Brazilian production number. So it really is all about Argentina right now for cutting supplies. Kind of similar on the feed grains, tight, still tight on the corn. And what really got me going on the corn was going into the report was what happens to the foreign corn production and exports because of Argentina and Ukraine. And even though USDA bumped up Ukrainian corn exports because of the land traversing of exports by rail and truck uh, over the last couple months, they did take down total foreign production and, and major exporters uh, are going to be less out there than they have been. And so I think we do have a better position in the next few months to really gain some corn market share. Well, I think overall as well, I just want to make this point, I, I think with you here, you mentioned, you know, it was it was a green screen day uh, when we take a look at, you know, how grains settled up, wheat, the upside leader, you know, it felt like the algo computer trading initially took it, then the human element kind of came back into the trade on, on Wednesday, Mike, that was, that was kind of the feel that that I got from the trade reaction. Excellent point. And I think that's why the wheat was able to drive the bus back home to the upside at the close. I think that before the market opened today, given what was happening with Turkey's earthquakes and Syria's earthquakes, where there's a lot of milling and there's a lot of storage bins and terminals in that area where those earthquakes happen, Jesse, I think there's a supply issue there that's brewing. Uh, Interfax is talking about it right now. No one knows much because you can't even get Twitter out of Turkey right now. It's such a bad situation over there. But between that and the hard red wheat finally starting to catch a bid on the weather, um, it's interesting to note that how the milling wheat is now starting to move. And this is a weekly chart with U.S. wheat in purple, soft red, where all the funds are so net short against the milling wheat futures. And again, I use that as my canary in the coal mine for the overall Baltic, European, and now Turkish market. Um, we're starting to see a multi-week high develop in that milling wheat number in futures price action. That's going to be a big thing to watch tomorrow for me because that could be signaling a, a price floor in the wheat market. And I'm glad you brought up as well the, the earthquake uh, over Syria and Turkey. Obviously a very dangerous situation, a, a tough situation for folks over there. But that's an interesting note, I think, in this wheat market overall that could potentially give us a little bit of a uh, you know, I don't want to say a huge boost, maybe, but at least a, a kind of a demand, a, a floor kind of, so to speak, here in the wheat trade right now. That's exactly how I would classify it. I, I'm pretty confident they have plenty of stocks for their own domestic needs up north, in part because of that grain agreement. But then there again, you go back to um, there's a big election coming up in Turkey this spring. The grain agreement ends in March. Uh, Putin has been firing dozens and dozens of rockets and missiles almost every day at Ukraine, doing more damage and destruction. 
and the news is not really reporting it at all at this point. So the, the wheels are coming off the bus again as we get ready to come out of dormancy in the winter crop over there and as we get ready to plant the spring crops over there. And I think the market's going to need to take notice of that, given the fact that in that previous chart, what you see in the purple, we're right back down to where we were before the war broke out. So there is next to no weather or risk premium in this market with the kind of stocks that USDA just gave us today. Thinking of weather, let's turn our attention to Argentina. Now, you mentioned uh, Brazil's numbers did not change in the USDA report out Wednesday, but those Argentine numbers, soybeans, we saw the cut there. I, I think maybe a little lost in the shuffle is corn, though, I and we saw that big cut in corn, and that's where I want to start with you. Uh, the Argentine soybean crop estimate for corn down to 41 million metric tons, and I know as well, Rosario Grain Exchange earlier in the day on Wednesday, it felt like it kind of set us up for these numbers possibly with some of their cuts. But I know you sent me a picture as well of some of the Argentine corn production. I think this is very interesting to pay attention to uh, here with regards to what's going on in Argentina. Yeah, I, I agree. And I'm going to be a finer point than what you just about the Rosario number. The, the fact that they're at 42.5 and they're a must have with some more rain uh, this coming week, which it's expected, but they're also going to have 102 to 105 degree temperatures in Santa Fe, Argentina, that same province that we're looking at pictures from mid January. USDA has done a good job of allowing us to understand that it is so bad down there that they're harvesting for silage. And so they're really cutting the harvested acres, not as aggressive yet on the yield. But what I like about this picture is what they have up above. Corn yield estimated at just over seven tons per hectare. That's down 7% from last month, but still up 1% from last year. I see that as an extremely hard um, goal to meet at this stage, Jesse, just based upon what they've already seen in terms of precipitation. And I, I think they've lost enough bushels and enough ground there that even the yield is going to be down versus last year at this stage. So um, I think that Rosario is more right. I think this is where it goes back to USDA raising the corn export number um, for Ukraine a little bit outside the, the guardrails, if you ask me. They said it was due to the land traversing into Europe and some of the internal river systems, not through the Baltic, which it have to be that because the Ukrainian Grain Association said today that they're down about 30% for the marketing year so far in corn and wheat exports. So I question the Ukrainian number from USDA, but I also think that, that there's more downside in the corn. So you've got now Argentina and Ukraine really sucking wind at this point when it comes to exportable supplies the next six months. And I think that's what I'm really going to focus on. World prices, where are we sitting in terms of Argentine and European futures and, and see exactly if they can't be the leaders to the upside, give me a little bit more confidence that the, the Chicago market can find some support in the cash. But if it doesn't and the wheat doesn't hold up there um, at these levels, and if not go through $9 in hard red, I'd be nervous uh, as we get into the second half of February. It's not a great seasonal time period for the corn. And we are talking with Mike Zuzalo of Global Commodity Analytics here on today's show. Coming up after the break, we'll continue our conversation. We'll talk more about the Argentina soybean crop and the soybean numbers out in the WASDE report, as well as take a look at some of the closing numbers from the trade on Wednesday. Corn beans up a couple of cents. Wheat was the upside leader, as we talked about. We'll also touch on the livestock markets coming up here in the next segment. We'll be back with more market talk on the way right after this.
Why are more people heating their homes with FS Propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. When it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency so you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information. Keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation. Now, back to Market Talk with Jesse Allen. Mike Zuzalo with Global Commodity Analytics is our guest analyst here today on Market Talk. And Mike, let's shift over to the soybean picture at Argentina. We've been talking a little bit more about this, uh, but this is going to get us into more of our soy discussion today. Uh, that soybean number for Argentina dropped down to 40, uh, 40, I had that in front of me now. I just just had that in front of me and it goes away from me. But talk about the numbers that we saw with the drop in Argentina there, Mike. Yeah, 41 on soybeans for Argentina. Thank you. Kept, yeah, kept the Brazil at 153. You know, this is, this is really nice way to dovetail what you said about the corn comments a minute ago, the lack of appreciation in the corn. And this is, I, you know, we've been talking about this. It's been speculation more than anything, but I've been saying to everybody that I've talked to that I really think the meal market, why it's rallied, has been because of the Argentine drought. The traders, the funds decided to take on meal longs instead of corn longs. This really helps to show that that analysis is more correct and it has more backbone to it because we're seeing now Argentina's imports, the blue line, going above by pretty dramatic amount. In fact, the biggest amount in terms of the distance between those two lines going all the way back to 2015, 2016. So this is where it goes back to, I, I'm going to stick by the idea that Argentina's uh, corn exports are on their way down and their soybean imports are on their way up. And if that's the case, then the meal should come back around. But that's where meal and the July no bean spread really are, I think, excellent indicators as to when this rally is over and when the Brazilian supplies come online. And, and also integrated into that is the currency markets um, with the Brazilian currency and the Chinese currency helping to pick up the issues with the Chinese balloon. Well, and you mentioned on the soy meal side, looking at maybe some imports to Argentina there. Pull up one more slide here on the video feed, just looking at some of those uh, export prices. I mean, it's definitely, I, I think this is a situation to keep an eye on. And I'll throw in there too, we obviously have some wetness uh, concerns in Brazil, slowing the harvest there. One has to wonder what effect that could have if that continues. And I know that would segue itself into a delay in the safrina corn planting as well. But that's a totally different uh, different topic for us, Mike. Yeah, but you're right. Quality could be a real issue in soybeans. Getting them to the ports could be an issue if they keep up these rains. I One area like Rondondopolis I looked at today, uh, uh, that's a Mato Grosso city in Mato Grosso, they're looking at rain in the 14 out of the next 14 days, three quarters to an inch, day after day after day. And some of the private analysts out there that I've listened to uh, in the weather side suggest that you could get keep continue to harvest beans. I, I find that very difficult to believe given their road structure and given some of their infrastructure. But this chart is the dog in the tail. And I think this is what solidifies the analysis about soy meal and Argentina are one and the same as far as weather. You've got a $45 a ton jump in upriver in Argentina over the last month. 
542, and they're almost identical prices at 583 and 584 a ton. So Argentina is the dog, U.S. FOB is the tail. That I think is going to continue. Well, as well, you, you brought up China, and I just want to look at that from the soy perspective as well. Obviously, tensions rising there since we last talked with the the balloon and everything. How do you think that all plays into our our soybean export picture, our corn export picture, etc.? Just the the whole ag picture in general right now, Mike. Is it too early to tell, really? No, I think that my sense, and, and this is coming from the Lunar New Year holiday, Jesse, and, and the numbers that we've gotten, some good, but some really bad, like their car sales down like 30% in the month of January versus January of, of 2022 and down 40% from the month of December. You can't have numbers like that when you've got a property bubble that's bursting and you've got a consumer on the sidelines because he's been jailed, because he's been under COVID lockdown. You throw on top of this, the, the spy balloon, um, I, I think that the United States is going to dig deep in, ter- in terms of what this balloon accrued as far as intelligence. We haven't seen the end of this situation. And the market showed that Monday morning. We woke up and it was the pork and bean trade in reverse. Liquidation of beans, liquidation of hogs. I really want to be sensitive to that occurring again once we see the next shoe drop. I think what I'm saying to you is the demand side of China is really iffy right now and we can't count on it because they will probably go to Brazil for soybeans. They will try and take their stocks of corn down to zero if they have to, um, just because they won't want to have to buy from us in case we get nasty with one another on the geopolitics. And so I, I am. that's where earlier I talked about the wheat and the corn and the, and the wheat really performing here. We got to have corn because I'm more and more nervous about soybeans. And, and so I think corn puts are something to really look at in the, in the May contract if we don't perform well as we close out this week and come back next week. Because I, I just don't want to wake up on a Monday morning and hear that China's canceled, you know, two and a half million metric tons of corn and five million metric tons of beans and not having something underneath me. That likelihood, I think, is better than 50-50 right now. And I would agree with you. And we, we are no stranger to seeing China cancel sales. So I think that is a great, great point there. You brought up the pork and bean trade. I'll segue over to hogs. Uh, decent day on Wednesday in hogs. I wonder, though, was that a bit of a technical bounce possibly, or, or what did you see there, Mike? Yeah, I think it was, but I also think we've pulled in that Feb-April spread well enough. I, I tell you, Jesse, what we've talked about in the past really rang true with the Tyson earnings. They, they really took a hit in the pork sector. Some of their beef wasn't the great greatest, but their sales were very strong still in beef, but they were weak volume, weak sales, in the pork side. And that really surprised me because pork is very affordable as we've talked about before on your show. And so I would reiterate the idea that the less China takes in here, the more we're going to have to find in our meat counters and restaurants here. And uh, that's going to keep pressure on that cutout, keep pressure on the deferred contracts. And that's really what I'm looking at right now is you've got June, July hogs breaking 100 again. That might be an area where we really want to go after some hedges um, in case this Chinese issue does get worse, kind of like the same mindset. Harder to do puts in, ju- in June, July hogs because of the time decay. You might have to actually do some futures or sell some options above the market, something like that. And Mike, over in cattle as well, very quiet day. It felt like they're Wednesday, steady firm, call it maybe, something like that. This cash cattle trade has been interesting the last week or so, though. I know that's an interesting point to keep an eye on. What's your thoughts on the cattle trade? 
Well, I know you were at CattleCon, I believe, uh, in mm -hmm. New Orleans, and I know that some of the analysts down there from clients I spoke to were really talking up this market, and they, and they got what they wanted in the short term because the sellers held on and they, it paid. I mean, the sellers came in and got to that almost 160 level. Now the sellers are wanting 161, 162 this week. I think they're going to overplay their hand, though, because I think the demand side of the equation is a little bit softer than we want. Now, Having said that, if we would get cold again, then I would be more nervous about the market going back up again and the cash market spiking. But I think that the sellers got what they want in part because of that cold weather and they could sit on their marketings. And it'll be interesting to see what the total slaughter is this week um, because I, I would bet we did a lot of business this week at that 159, 160 level. And uh, that might cool this market down. The other thing I'll say about cattle is Along with the hogs, the cattle still have to keep one eye on the feeders in case this corn market goes up because that sensitivity in the opposite trade between the two is really still very evident. Mike, how about the outside markets real quick? I know we touched a lot today. Any thoughts uh, in either the stocks or crude oil, energies, et cetera? I know we had ethanol numbers out today. Yeah, using both fists to knock on wood, we're going into the end of the week with a weaker dollar um, and a stronger crude oil trade. Now, the dollar's 3% off its uh, lows made just last week, but uh, I like that type of a look in the market. What I don't want to see is a safe haven buy in the dollar and then a break to the downside in the crude. One, one of the best things that happened this week was Department of Energy bumped up the 2023 liquid fuels demand. Kind of a surprise to the trade, and it really put a floor underneath us in the crude. So lows in the crude made this week need to really hold for the grains and for the whole commodity complex, if you ask me. Mike, fantastic analysis as always. Before we wrap it up, any final thoughts for us? No, you just do a great job, Jesse. It's a pleasure to be on your show, and it's one of the finest out there. Well, thank you very much, sir. I appreciate it. And again, I know if folks want to reach out to you for uh, marketing advice, globalcomresearch.com, or they give you a phone call too, can't they, Mike? Yeah, call me toll-free, 866-471-2588 after the market closes. And a lot more people have been doing that because they have specific needs, whether it's fertilizer or fuel or whatever maybe we don't cover on today's program, please give me a call. And again, you can find them online, globalcomresearch.com with two M's, globalcomresearch.com. Mike Zuzalo, thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you again next week. My pleasure, Jesse. Thank you. And again, that is Mike Zuzalo with Global Commodity Analytics. We appreciate his time and insight here today on Market Talk. Closing numbers from the day on Wednesday. Corn for March was up four and a half, six seventy-eight and a half. July corn up two and three quarters, six sixty-five and a quarter. New crop December corn that finished the day as well. Wednesday that was up two five ninety-five and a half. March beans up four and a half, fifteen nineteen and three quarters. July up one and three quarters, fifteen oh six. New crop November beans were up a quarter penny. 1370 at three quarters. Bean meal for March up 50 cents a ton, 481.90. Beet oil for March down 31 points, 60.58. Chicago wheat March up 15, 764 at three quarters. July up 12 at three quarters, 779 at three quarters. March Kansas City wheat up 10 at a quarter at 896. KC wheat for July up six at three quarters at 870. March spring wheat up nine, 926 and a quarter. July up six at three quarters at 912 and a quarter. Over in the livestock trade, cattle futures, February live cattle up 22, 160.80. April up 10, 163.70. June live cattle down 2, 159.77. Feeder cattle March down 75, 186.45. April feeders down 62, 190.72. And in hogs, February up 55, 75.92. April up 80, 84.07. May hogs up 117, 93.82. 
All right, coming up next here on Market Talk, we will wrap up the program. Going to take a look at some news headlines, including the latest on the Purdue University CME Group Ag Economy Barometer and Senator Chuck Grassley going after payment limits. Once again, we'll be back with more Market Talk right after this. The market news and analysis you need here on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And thanks for sticking with us here on Market Talk today as we welcome you back in. I'm your host, Jesse Allen, as we take a look at news headlines and agriculture before we wrap things up here for the show today. The Purdue University CME Group Ag Economy Barometer Index rose again in January to a reading of 130, four points above its 2022 year-end index value. The January survey results also pushed the index 34% above its 2022 low point, which occurred last June. The barometer's modest rise in January was primarily attributable to better expectations for the future as the Future Expectations Index rose five points to 127, while the index of current conditions with a value of 136 changed changed a little compared to December. Now, the financial performance index uh, dropped to 93 this month, down from 109 in December. But that primarily reflects producers being asked to look ahead to 2023 and compare it to 2022 rather than comparing 2022 to 2021. Now, of the 400 respondents, 22% expect to have a larger farm operating loan than in 2022, which was down somewhat from last January when 27% of respondents expected to have a larger operating loan. Now, also, USDA's Economic Research Service released the February farm income forecast on Tuesday. Net farm income, a broad measure of profits, is forecast at $136.9 billion in calendar year 2023, a decrease of $25.9 billion, or 15.9%, relative to 2022. After adjusting for inflation, net farm income is forecast to decrease $30.5 billion, or 18.2%, in 2023. Despite the expected decline, net farm income in 2023 would be 26.6% above its 20-year average of $108.1 billion in inflation-adjusted dollars. Net cash farm income is forecast at $150.6 billion in 2023, a decrease of $39.4 billion, or 20.7%, relative to 2022. Now, cash receipts from the sale of agricultural commodities are forecast to decrease by $23.6 billion from a forecast record high of $543.4 billion in 2022 to $519.9 billion in 2023. That's the expected number. Also contributing to the forecast of lower income this year, lower direct government payments and higher production expenses. Average net cash farm income for farm businesses is forecast to decrease 17.7% from 2022 down to $92,400 per farm in 2023. Well, Iowa Republican Senator Chuck Grassley is renewing his fight for farm bill payment limits, a fight he lost in 2015 and again in the 2018 farm bill. Grassley insists the present farm safety net is broken. More than 70% of the subsidies from Title I programs go to the largest 10% of the farmers. Grassley will renew his payment limits push at a Senate Farm Bill hearing this week. At the hearing, I'll discuss a recent Government Accountability Office report that found that the Department of Agriculture didn't routinely review FSA operations to ensure payments 
are only going to those who are, quote-unquote, actively engaged. Not simply entities set up by relatives or others to enrich themselves. Grassley says it's all about protecting taxpayers and the nation's food supply. Monitoring this data is vital to protecting taxpayers' dollars and preserving the nation's farm safety net. In the upcoming Farm Bill, Congress also needs to get serious about spending. That means closing the spigot of taxpayers' subsidies to our nation's wealthiest farmers. That's where payment limitations come in. Grassley hasn't decided yet if he'll again propose a $250,000 payment cap per married farming couple or some other figure, but argues current loopholes must end. USDA's January 1 cattle inventory report places the total number of cattle and calves at 89.3 million head, consistent with trade expectations for a 3% decline from a year ago. The decline comes as cattle producers face a fourth consecutive year of contraction within the cattle cycle. Now that's approaching inventory lows last seen in 2014 to 2015 at the start of the current cycle when producers began rebuilding following the drought in 2012. Beef production is anticipated to be 6.5% lower this year than last. University of Illinois economist Jason Franken suggested that all things considered, prices in 2023 are likely to exceed those of the last couple of years. Current conditions are even bringing about speculation on the possibility of exceeding record prices last set in the fourth quarter of 2014. Franken says that seems feasible for fat cattle, which are already trading around $156 per hundredweight. And finally, here on today's episode of Market Talk, as we evaluate what implications a Chinese spy balloon might have had for our national security, a House bill could prohibit the Chinese government from buying U.S. agricultural lands. Representative Dan Newhouse from Washington State led the introduction of the bill last week based on something that has become a genuine concern in recent years. It has grown in concern because of the trends that we're seeing. Chinese businesses have been purchasing American agricultural assets at a rate of 10 times what they had been over the last several years. Newhouse says it's not yet the total acres that have been purchased, but the trend that is concerning. On top of that, some of these properties are near military installations or power generating stations, you know, areas of critical national security implication. Concerns Newhouse says on different fronts. For a couple of different reasons, whether they secure a link in our supply chain or perhaps can compromise our ability to defend ourselves as a country, there's a growing concern that we need to be aware of exactly what the communist government of China is doing, what their strategy is, and look at those threats and make decisions on what we should do to curb them and stop them. And Newhouse says it's important to prevent China from gaining a foothold from within our own borders. That's going to do it for Market Talk here today. Coming up tomorrow, we'll be broadcasting live from the February United Soybean Board meeting. But plenty of coverage from there. We'll be talking with Mac Marshall with the United Soybean Board and much more. We'll also talk markets with Brian Doherty of Total Farm Marketing. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Thanks for joining us here today on Market Talk. Have a fantastic rest of your day. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Why are more people heating their homes with FS Propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. 
when it comes to the comfort of your family. Trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency so you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information.